I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Welcome into episode 73 of Blue Jays Nation Radio, presented by DoorDash. Promo code BJNPODDD gets first time users of the app 20, 25% off and no delivery fees. I am supposed to be joined by Tyler Uramchuk. You know what? I was actually kind of thinking, because it's BK Brendan joining me on the podcast today, I was kind of thinking we should probably get a different intro made up for the times that Tyler abandons me. Because the intro, like little jingle thing says his name, but he's not here. It's very misleading. We should honestly just get another one made up. Where do you uh, yeah. your, Either uh, your I, name specifically or like a, like a guest or something. <laughs> well, I'll take, I'll take my name on there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's playoff hockey time. Uh, I can imagine Tyler's quite busy and happy to step in. As I'm not all that invested in what's going on in hockey. So let's talk baseball. I was just saying that we were just chatting before going over our notes. And I, I told Brendan, I was like, you are very blessed not being dealt with the curse of having to pay attention to and care about playoff hockey. Cause Tyler right now, Tyler's gone. Cause he has to pay attention to the Oilers game. He has the misfortune of dealing with that. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a mentally exhausting thing, man. Like the Jays have been, the Jays have been a tiring team to follow thus far. It's, it's been a good April and early May. I'm not complaining about where the Jays are at at all. Quite happy. But that with playoff hockey at the same time is intense. I could imagine Brendan, you're probably feeling pretty tired right now, but for, 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 perhaps different reasons beyond sports. Yeah. I'm going to say that the blue days aren't the number one reason uh, I'm a little tired. I just uh, welcome to baby boy, Henry, April 12th. So just about three weeks ago now, or a little over three weeks ago and he's doing well. And uh, yeah, he's pretty, pretty uh, tired and sleepy around blue Jay time. So I just get a little snuggle, get to watch the blue Jays and uh, it lets me not get my heart rate up too much. Cause uh, looking after him, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a good time in our household over here. I'm glad you found the time to come on and uh, talk Blue Jays with us because we've got an interesting series to chat about. And three up, three down, I'm going to do kind of differently this time because the first part of that Yankees series was very bad. There was the uh, first game in which the Jays kind of just got edged out in the ninth inning. It was unfortunate, but not the end of the world. And there was the second game, which was, in my opinion, probably the worst game of the year thus far. The Jays got pounded nine to one, and there was some weird umpire missed calls, mistake calls. But then in the finale, they came back in the game that on paper kind of seemed like the automatic loss. The Jays were on the verge of getting swept. They come out, win two to one. So how do we feel about this Yankees series so far? Because they split the first four games in New York, two and two, and then New York rolls in, almost pulls off a sweep. 
I'm I'm feeling good about my uh, preseason prediction about the Yankees are probably a little better than people are giving them credit for. Um, they they're a bit of a pitching factory. They just have these pen arms and and uh, you know guys like Nestor Cortez today that they throw out there and they're really effective. It seems like they're really good at developing uh, unique pitches, uh, effective sliders, stuff like that, and just being really good arms. So their offense is all right. Um, but yeah, they're a very underrated pitching team and the Blue Jays were unfortunate to catch them when they're red hot, right? Like they, you know, when entered the series, what winning nine in a row, I believe, or eight in a row and they won the first two here. Um, and then the Jays get them two games next week as well. So, uh, yeah, not the time you want to face a division rival when they're red hot. Um, but yeah, when the Blue Jays aren't going to be hitting at all, you can't expect to win many games. Quite frankly, it's good to walk away with one win here. And like you said, winning the Kikuchi start of all of them is uh, pretty stunning. Um, but we'll take it. It was really good to see Kikuchi look effective, right? Like he was he was really good. It wasn't just he didn't you know fluff his way through that outing or give up a lot of hard contact that lined into outs. Um, he was good. He was getting strikeouts, keeping them off balance, and outside of the Gallo home run, um, he was incredibly effective. So I think that's probably the biggest positive to take away is is how well he looked. So we'll start with the downs and. Okay, but but one thing that I wanted to point out before this was, so when the Yankees were on their winning streak, it was all against shitty teams, right? It was like Baltimore, Kansas City, I think Detroit was in there too. And then kind of coming into this series, we thought like, oh, geez, like, are the Yankees frauds? Like, are they actually this good? You know, they won 10 consecutive games, but against no good teams. But I think now we can pretty confidently say, yeah, the Yankees are legit. And it's kind of also a shame because the Rays, meanwhile, are also heating up. So things are already getting pretty intense in the ALEs. Anyways, we're going to start with the downs before I start rambling off. The number one thing that was kind of just present in this series was just the bats. It felt kind of hopeless. It felt like it was impossible for the team to score a run. They scored two in the first game, one in the second, then two again in the third, which is the win. So five runs all told. And... It's just, where is the offense gone? When is it going to click? Is it the team really missing Teoscar Hernandez that much? So like, is it, is it the case where Teoscar comes back and then bats are going to click or is it, is there more to it than that? Yeah. I mean, he's the one big change that you can see coming that doesn't affect, or that isn't just about, you know, a reversal of luck or, you know, good hitters getting hot and returning to their norms or getting runner in scoring position luck too, right? Like the Jays have been, I believe the worst team in baseball at hitting with runners in scoring position. So that's not going to continue. Just, I mean, it just can't, and they're a good hitting team. So it wouldn't make sense for that to be the case. So, I mean, there's reason to just be optimistic that there's going to be good fortune um, or a little better fortune moving forward. But yeah, Teoscar is a, a critical part of the lineup and he lengthens it by, you know, one. And in a lineup of nine where you're batting Capra, Heineman, and Zimmer <laughs> in the bottom of it, um, adding another bat like uh, Teoscar there, your four hitter, is going to go an awful long way. So uh, it's good to see that he's doing well. Uh, you know, when his rehab starts down in Dunedin, he had a home run yesterday uh, on Tuesday, his first game and a double uh, today. I know he had a double. I didn't check to see how he finished the game, but um, at least three extra base hits in his two games. So I'm, I'm guessing he joins the guys in Cleveland uh, for Thursday and hopefully he's in the lineup as soon as tomorrow. That would be uh, my hope, but yeah, the offense is just tough to watch, right? They're not stringing together hits and, and you look at numbers like Vladdy and Springer are, you know, maybe just a touch below what you would expect of them, like season long numbers. But Vladdy's been scuffling for a couple of weeks now. Um, he's he's you know, he had that nice um, 
rocket into center field today. But other than that, he's been hitting a lot of choppers and ground balls and just not getting into the, uh, getting into the baseball like he normally does. Um, Bo Bichette's finally turning it around, which like, that's good to see. And you could use a hot streak from him. And then, yeah, like Guriel Chapman are probably a little bit less than you would expect. Espinal's, you know, solid, but he's not, you know, an elite hitter. And then, yeah, when you just have the bottom of the order, that's really empty. Like it was in the Wednesday game. And, and in a lot of games we've seen, that's where it hurts you. So, um, Alejandro Kirk, I think that's the, that's the one that they really need to get going because he's so much better of a hitter than what he's shown this far uh, so far this year. His spray and, uh, chart. That's what we need to see. Yeah, he, he, His he's, spray a, chart? he's a weird profile, right? Yeah, uh, it's really yeah, weird. It, it's hard to make sense of. And like his, his strike zone discipline has been solid and all that stuff, but he's not hitting anything with authority. And he, he's had a couple in recent games. So again, hopefully he's turning it around in the same way Bo appears to be. But yeah, just soft contact for days, uh, infield choppers, and yeah, just not the hitter we saw the moment he was called up and when he made his debut in 2020 and last year. Um, so yeah, he's he's kind of my X factor of who you know they need to see them get going. And if you pair that with Teoscar returning very quickly, the offense could look quite strong. So the second down that I had, and I'm not sure if I really need it to be a down now because I wrote some of these notes before the game. And I want to talk about how bad the umpiring was in game two, specifically when um, <laughs> there was a rundown between third and home and Vladdy clearly tagged the runner out and <laughs> just called him safe and the Yankees scored a run. And then there's no out on that play. And then they go ahead and pile on like six runs in the inning and the game's just completely lost. Like, I don't think the Jays would have come back and won that game, no. but it really felt like it, it felt bizarre to miss a call that obvious, right? Like it, it doesn't feel like that really happens anymore. Well, and what I wondered about that play was, look, if the umpire just has a bad sight line of seeing what happened and they they have to make a judgment call and they make a mistake on that, whatever. But there was two things the umpire missed on that play because uh, the runner had severely vacated his established running lane to get out of the way of that tag. And that one is the obvious one that the umpire was in position to call because he saw just how far inside... Um, of the baseline, he, the runner was, and then he pulled back in to the other side of the baseline, probably seven feet different change of direction, which is way outside of what you're allowed to do. So on top of the tag, which again, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt and say, for whatever reason, he had a poor sight line to make an accurate call. And unfortunately, the Jays didn't have a challenge to contest it that there was an out call to be made there simply because of the established rules for running within your established baseline or baseline. So, um, yeah, it was, it was ugly. Uh, Vlad was quite frustrated, quite animated, uh, with good reason. And it was weird to see an inning just fall apart in the way it did. Um, the Jays weren't going to win that game. It seemed they, they, they were flat offensively again. And, and at that point, you know, the Yankees were in position to take the lead and, and, uh, yeah, things fell apart, but, uh, umpiring has got to be better than that. And it's too bad. There isn't a way for a, a, something that obviously incorrect to then get changed because one, you know, um, replay has been lost, you know, the one challenge has been lost. So at the very yeah, least, frustrating. at the very least, I will say it's a positive and this is why I didn't really want to rag on it too much. I wasn't, I wasn't as upset about it for the following day, but it seems like they kind of got a bit of a makeup call in game three when Jimmy Garcia was pitching. And uh, what are you talking about? No, that was, that was legit. That was a bit of a makeup <laughs> call. And then Aaron Boone just loses his mind. It's like, Boone, you cannot be getting that mad after how favorable the refer the, the umpiring was for you in the previous game. Like, that was a hilarious meltdown to see. And then, okay. So the third up, 
And this is a controversial one. I kind of wanted to bring it up when you were talking about Alejandro Kirk just there. So it's the seventh inning of the first game of the series. And the score is tied at 2-2. And Alejandro Kirk draws a leadoff walk. And they have Bradley Zimmer on the bench. And then with two outs, Tyler Heineman inexplicably hits a double in which Kirk's obviously not scoring from first. But you'd think if they pinch ran for Bradley Zimmer, he probably would have scored. Do you think this was an egregious mistake by Charlie Montoya? Or do you think this is fun? Because Kirk did come up to bat again in the ninth inning. And yeah. none of us would have been happy to see Zimmer batting there. But So when things like this happen, I can only, I, I try to go to what my thoughts are in the moment so that I can't have some reactionary take of, yeah, obviously they should have pinched Rand Zimmer, given what we know kind of how the inning played out. In the moment, I was like, yeah, I'd probably lean with pinch running Zimmer here, but it wasn't one of those manager decisions where I looked at it as egregious either way. I think there's an argument to be made. Like you said, you know, Kirk coming up again, it's just him being at first base. Um, and I mean, interestingly, there was no damage or anything until there were two out where I definitely wouldn't have, you know, ran them for, um, you know, with Heineman up to bat with two out, but yeah, I mean, you know, maybe Zimmer steals a base, right? Like maybe he finds a way to get a stolen base and that then leads to the Heineman hit, you know, for sure being a run scored. It was one of those like kind of line drives inside the baseline that bounces off the side wall that even a fast runner might not have scored on that. Um, so there's no guarantee in that way. But uh, yeah, like I said, there, there's other things, the inning, other ways the inning could have played out where Zimmerman advances a base and then is in position to score. So um, yeah, in hindsight, incorrect move in the moment. I didn't hate it. I, I, it's not the decision I would have made, but it, yeah, I didn't feel it was egregious. I know some did. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of how I felt in the moment, seeing that play out. We're going to talk a whole bunch more about Bradley Zimmer. Cause there's a question here I was going to ask, but I feel like it's going <laughs> to result in a pretty, a pretty decent sized tangent. So I'll save it for later when it comes up, but that's the three down. So we'll jump into the three ups and we'll kind of bomb through these. Basically the three ups are kind of just that whole third game all told. There was a lot of stuff to like about that game. The number one, obviously being the Kikuchi rebound start. He really hadn't put together a good start yet at all this season. He didn't really look like the kind of pitcher that the Blue Jays thought they were going to get when they signed him to a three-year contract in the offseason. But finally, this time around, he does six innings, one earned run on three hits and one walk. I think the one walk is kind of the, the real exclamation point here. And then seven strikeouts as well. And honestly, it kind of looked like he probably could have even gone a little bit deeper, but I don't blame Charlie for just getting six and pulling it there. So what was different about Kikuchi's pitching tonight? Yeah, he, he seemed to have conviction in his stuff. He was way more in the zone, um, in and around the plate. Um, and he was getting ahead of ahead of Yankees, which allowed them to then chase his, you know, his splitter he mixed in some and in the slider that he's working on. And and uh yeah, it was just it was nice. You, you can see what the team dreamed on, right? Because when he signed the contract, you're like, okay, the numbers don't necessarily justify this contract at the same time three years 36 million 12 million a year for a pitcher is like a number four starter money maybe yeah it's buddy right so <laughs> maybe, maybe a year longer than you'd want to give somebody with that profile but at the same time i mean you watch a start like like he did uh, like he had on wednesday and you see what the jays are betting on and what they're hoping they can hone in and develop and um i have a i have a lot of friends who are mariners fans uh, and 
they call it the roller coaster and false hope and glim, glimmer of hope and stuff like that. Even today, they're like, oh, enjoy your glimmer of Yusei Kikuchi hope. <laughs> so I, I know he's been a roller coaster his whole career. So, you know, I don't think we can look at him and let's say he strings together a couple of good starts for like, like oh, Pete Walker fixed them because Mariners fans <laughs> would be like, oh, oh, let me tell you, we thought he was fixed about 800 times and then he lets you down. So, um, yes, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic just based on seeing with our own eyes a good Kikuchi outing that was really encouraging. And here's hoping he can string together a couple more. Um, and he lines up to face the Yankees again, his next start. So he's going to be Yankee stadium. I guess that's next Tuesday. Um, yeah. I mean, that'll be the third time the Yankees will have seen him in like a span of what, like five weeks. That's not ideal. <laughs> no, that's not ideal at all. So I, that'll be a big measuring stick game. If he can come out and be effective there, like he was, uh, in this final game of the series, then, you know, that again, just reason for optimism, but it, it was really nice to see first pitch strikes, him being around the zone him using that fastball effectively pairing it with some of his off speed pitches. And, and uh, yeah, it was a great start. I, I'm really glad that he got the sixth inning. Like you said, he, he's only, he finished with 78 pitches. He certainly could have pitched in the seventh or possibly could have, but even like given how tight his leash has been so far, um, he gave up a leadoff double, I believe, in the in the sixth inning, right? So the fact that he still got to finish that inning out was was pretty encouraging. And it was, I mean, good for him to to get there as well. Speaking of the sixth inning, I want to specifically give an up to Tim Meza, who is just kind of I wouldn't I wouldn't say out of the blue because there was hype when he came up, right? But it, it's a little bit out of the blue because you know his arm fell off and he missed a year and a half. And it was kind of like, oh, geez, is this guy ever going to come back? Like he comes into spring training and he's competing for a job with Francisco Liriano, who's, you know, like 39 years old at the time. So it kind of seems like, you know, the expectations weren't all too high for Tim Mesa, but he comes back and now he's unhittable. I mean, uh, David Phelps has a Tyler Chatwood-esque inning where he comes in and walks two guys on what was it? Eight consecutive balls. Just one of those weird meltdown innings. And then Tim Mesa just comes in and, blows him away that's <laughs> i don't know if there's any comment to really be added here but it's it's unbelievable how this guy has just come up and turned into a weapon all of a sudden if you went back to like may 2021 and just looked up the name Mesa on a twitter search <laughs> and the amount of times you would see dfa paired with that last yep. name it's insane he he was he i think if i remember last year he started like okay for a few weeks and then he had like a meltdown i don't know three weeks and maybe it feels exaggerated yeah. just because it was experiencing that while well, the rest of the team was constantly melting down as well um but yeah may june whenever it was he had a really rough stretch and probably a good reminder for people who are listening right now to not get over eager with the word DFA or the three words designated for assignment because we're so quick to just be like, oh, get rid of them, DFA them. And you need to understand, like with, with relief pitchers, there's so much volatility there. And if you're off a little bit for a brief stretch, that will skew numbers so significantly. And yet since that time, whenever he had his, you know, kind of early season turnaround last year, he has been incredible. And um, man, he, like he, since then, he's walked less than two per nine, struck out a batter per inning. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, he's, I don't know, is, is he the second most confident reliever you have right now behind Romano? And I, number I one, say, honestly, like, yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think honestly. there's that big of a golf for separation between him and Romano at this point. So yeah, he, he's a great weapon. I, I hope he can stay healthy. It was great to see him stay healthy most of last year. Um, and I hope that continues because, uh, yeah, he's turned into like, a 
uh, an elite high end lefty reliever, which the Jays lack, right? They you look at Barucky and, and that's hit or miss both injuries and performance. And, and yeah, like having, having just one lefty there that you really can believe in. That's a lot of strain and stress on, on Mays's arm. I can imagine, but he, he keeps delivering. Hey, uh, if you want a lefty to rely on, they've uh, signed Derek Holland to a minor league contract today. Or uh, Wednesday, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm going to predict excited. a six ERA in Buffalo. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to say if we see Derek Holland, it'll be like the Casey Lawrence call up today where the Jays are like, uh, we need we need length for two days in Fucking case Tom Malone situation here. destroyed and somebody were very comfortable DFAing within a couple days. Right this after I say that you shouldn't be DFAing too quickly. But yes, Derek Holland is the type of arm that you're very quick to DFA if he's he the um so he's of the ilk of perhaps like the Nick Tepish. That's a pull, <laughs> there's, eh? there's that's a heck of a pull, and there's far too many of those uh those names, but yes, 2017, 18, much, 19 names like that. Yes. Zach Godley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We went through the ringer there for a few years. Trivia, trivia question answers, man. Um, anyway, so speaking of the DFA, kind of the sad news today, as you said, Casey Lawrence is added to the 40-man roster, and then in order to make room, Gatsuki Kato got designated for assignment, which is kind of a sad thing to see. He kind of endeared himself as a fan favorite in Toronto. We saw him get his first hit, and it's kind of it's it's sad for him to see this kind of dream come to an end right here but do you think it would be shocking at all if someone grabbed him on waivers or is he just going to go back down to buffalo uh nothing would surprise me but yeah i i expect him to be in buffalo he might even have the ability to elect free agency uh following this i'd, I'd have to look into that but yeah i mean he's he's an org guy roster filler sometimes these guys you know find a way to endear themselves to the fan base and and it gets you a little bit attached to them and you kind of think maybe they're, or they have one, one or two big hits or a nice defensive play. And you've got all these fuzzy memories about them without remembering that. Yeah. They're not all that great of a baseball player, but yeah, he, he's nice org depth. Right. And, and if they can get him back in Buffalo, that's a win for the Jays. Um, his, his backstory is, you know, kind of interesting. I tweeted about this the other day, but there's this projection system that fan graphs used to have. There's a guy named Chris Mitchell, who I believe works for the, I want to say the Brewers now, um, but he developed this like minor league projection system where using just historical data of performance in minor leagues at different age ranges and stuff like that, he put a percentage of likelihood of a player reaching the big leagues and then percentage of them becoming like an average player and that type of thing. And he named his system Kato, K-A-T-O-H, which I, I just assumed was an acronym for something. And it was literally after Kozuki Kato. Why? Because he was in the minors at that time. He'd, when the system was developed, that's when Kato was just drafted. And Chris Mitchell thought his profile was really interesting as a hitter. Huh. Um, and and he seemed like a fringe, like unlikely to make it. And for whatever reason, he just decided, hey, this is what I'm going to name my projection system after. That's interesting. I think he, I, and he, he tweeted about it the other day, too. It was cool when, uh, when he got called up and when he got his first hit. And uh, yeah, I think he put 27.3% chance his system set on him making the big league. So he's like, yeah, I'm so excited to be proven wrong in that way. Um, but anyways, long-winded <laughs> answer there a little bit of, uh, I was shocked to learn that because I remember that projection system. I quite enjoyed it before I got, you know, ripped away from fan graphs once he got, uh, once Chris Mitchell got hired by a team. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a likable guy, hopefully ends up in Buffalo. Um, but one thing to note is Kevin Bijou got to be removed from the 40 man roster because of his, um, you know, COVID leave status. So 
he needs to be added back too. So if Coteau wasn't going to go because of, you know, uh, the need for a length arm like Casey Lawrence right now, he was going to go when Cavan came back anyways. So um, maybe a few days earlier than expected, but yeah, I mean, this, this is coming soon and that's probably Casey Lawrence's future as well. Once Cavan's ready. Yeah, that would make sense. So speaking, I'm going to skip ahead now to, because there's one more thing I want to talk about before we get into next up, but I want to look at these uh, questions people have um, asked you from the Twitter account. And there's one guy who says, um, should Zimmer never bat again, Bradley Zimmer? Should he yeah. never bat again for the Blue Jays? Sorry, specifically, never. not The never. Bradley Zimmer, who we have seen, is the worst hitter in the history of baseball. Um shockingly, I was surprised by this. I wanted to look it up. I'm like, okay, so I, w- like what would the Jays have seen offensively in Zimmer? Not that they probably saw much. I think they liked his speed and his drafted him too, defense, right? right? Yeah. They so the in profile Cleveland. there was something the team didn't have elite speed, elite defense and center field. So for that reason, that made sense. Um, Bradley Zimmer had a 99 weighted runs created plus against right-handed pitchers last year, like in a, in a large sample of, of at bats. So I'm thinking like, man, if the Jays somehow got that out of him, like you can be an absolute nothing against lefties, but what he's supposed to be capable of doing is taking walks, hitting for occasional power against right-handed pitching enough so that he's a borderline league average bat on your, on your positive side of the platoon split, you should be a better than league average hitter. You'd want to be. So I'm not saying he's some great hitter or has shown it to be in the past. But Bradley Zimmer against righties being a league average hitter, well, again, being base running, speed, defense, all that stuff is a valuable piece to have on a 26-man roster. The Bradley Zimmer we've been able to watch is not even close to that. He's, you know, the worst hitter in baseball, like I said. So, um, yeah, I can't imagine he's long for the team. I feel for the guy. He looks miserable. Like, you watch him and he 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 looks looks lost, lost, right? Like, he, he does not know what he's doing up at the plate. Um, and I got empathy for guys like that. Like he obviously doesn't want this to be happening. There's no evidence. He's not working extremely hard to fix it, but it's just not happening. And it is ugly every single time. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't long for the roster. Um, with that being said, again, you know, I don't think the team will be quick to DFM just based exclusively on this. I think there's a larger body of data and history and stuff like that, that will dictate some of that decision-making. But yeah, this is a team that is in win now mode, so they need to make win now decisions. Um, and and I wouldn't be you know shocked if he found his way off the roster at some point in the next month. So the other interesting thing I wanted to bring up is this super random tweet out of the blue from Buster Olney, and he's getting the content wheel spinning. And it's very early to be doing this, but I appreciate it because it gives us something to talk about in kind of a weird zone for content <laughs> during the NHL playoffs. He says, total speculation at this point, but this would be a nice trade match later this season between a team rebuilding and a team trying to win and desperately in need of more lineup balance. The Nationals, Josh Bell to the Blue Jays. What do you think about that? Because we, we, we all had kind of told ourselves it was a foregone conclusion. The Blue Jays uh, lefty bat and the new profile, the the contact hitting guy, high average guy was going to be Jose Ramirez. But then he went and signed a contract extension in Cleveland, completely fucked those whole plans. So now we got to find a new guy to obsess about. Is Josh Bell that guy? 
I don't know if Josh Bell is a guy you would want to obsess about. Um, with that being said, he is a good single year roster fit for the Blue Jays for sure. Um, obviously being a first baseman that kind of casts him to DH uh, duties more often than not. But um, yeah, he's, he's a solid bat, right? Like right now he's, he's had a great start to the season. He'd be the best hitter on the Blue Jays um, based on his numbers in the first month. Uh, he's got a 193 wins, uh, uh, way to runs created plus, but, uh, that's fueled by a four Oh three batting average on balls in place. So he's lucky. He's, he's been very lucky with, uh, his performance so far this year, but yeah, he's a switch hitter, um, with, you know, 27 home runs last year, 37 in 2019, um, in Pittsburgh too, which is a, you know, very much a hit, uh, pitcher's park. So he's got big power, uh, a really nice thing about what he's kind of become as a hitter, um, in the last, couple years uh he's he's striking out 12 percent of the time this year while walking 14 percent. so he's walking more than he's striking out um which again a, a nice profile to have and he's kind of improved on that every year uh that he's been in the big leagues for the most part so yeah he he's a good fit he'd be a great guy to fit the zach collins role because the zach collins whoa 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> slow down are we jumping off the zach collins bandwagon here i, you sure I about think that? there's i think there's reason to maybe like be leaning off the side of the bandwagon ready to take that final oh, step no. off of it because um, i was i was prepared to write a think piece about how zach collins is of the same ilk as justin smoke they were you they were can high you can write that <laughs> i will read it i don't know if i believe it but i was gonna say it yeah. i was gonna say it out loud i was gonna put it out there yeah <laughs> i was gonna I, manifest it I, i'm gonna say uh yeah zach collins may not al- also may not be long for the roster uh he can be sent down to triple a um so so that's part of that too so yeah i well, it'll be interesting to see i mean we all know the jays could use another effective left-handed hitter um, I think it's overblown that this is some sort of must for the team to be good or make the playoffs or anything like that. Um, I think what a really prime example of that is Espinal versus Biggio. Who would you rather have in the lineup right now? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely Espinal. We've been, we've been pumping Espinal's tires on this thing. Exactly. Too. And yet Biggio's a left-handed hitter. So you've got these two guys who play the same position. Biggio can't call him a hitter if he doesn't. Performance in the vast. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And uh, I'm not, I'm not comp- calling them comparable at all. But my point there is you don't want to start Biggio just because he's left-handed. So um, Espinal has proven to be very valuable despite the fact that he is a right-handed hitter. So you don't need left-handed hitter to be good. It would be helpful to have more balance, um, uh, a little bit more platoon advantage at times. And Josh Bell is a great fit. So like you said, thank you, Buster Olney, for generating the uh, content for us. This is nice and early. But look, it is never too early for transaction season. Transactions are amazing. Transactions are so much fun. And let's talk about it nice and early. Speculation is a beautiful thing in baseball. Hey, you know what else it's not too early for? It's not too early to start a narrative uh, that there's a player who got away. So we've been talking about the Blue Jays needing a big lefty bat in the middle of their lineup. And meanwhile, today for the Milwaukee Brewers, Rowdy Telez hit his sixth home run of the season, a grand slam. Very happy for Rowdy. I am happy for our thick son. Um, Yeah, I want to see him do well. He was at the time an awkward roster fit for the Blue Jays, which is kind of funny because now we're talking about, and we spent all off season talking about acquiring a left-handed first baseman. Whereas like 
Rowdy but didn't we were, fit the roster as a left-handed first base. We were always looking for that lefty bat to play a different position, right? Like that's why we were yes. also crazy about Jose Ramirez. Oh yeah. And that's, that's what made him such an exceptional. Fit. That's why Rowdy and, couldn't uh, fit is because they like rotating the DH. Yeah. And, and really it's, it's, it is hard to carry, um, two first base only guys and, and what that means. And if they're the kinds of players whose bats should be in the lineup most days, then yes, it clogs the DH position where you want to have George Springer getting DH days. Um, you know, uh, you want to have Alejandro Kirk, you'd figure, you know, entering the season, you'd figure you'd want to have Alejandro Kirk getting a bunch of DH days because of the bat we expect him to be. So, um, yeah, Rowdy always was an awkward fit with that being said, I mean, you know, his performance this year is what it is good for him. And it would be very nice to, uh, be watching him put up seven dingers and hitting the crap out of the ball in, in this lineup. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for him and he, he's always an easy guy to root for. And I, I hope he keeps doing well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We all love Rowdy. We're also, I'm not complaining about that trade last year either. I think it was a reasonable move. Anyways, that's a lot of very random middle topics to talk about. So let's head into the final section of the podcast, which is the looking ahead section brought to you by Points Bet Canada. We are going to talk a little bit about betting on the podcast. No, we're not. Neither of us bet. So none of us have anything interesting to say. I put $10,000 down on the Blue Jays winning the World Series. I think they're great. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to do it. I didn't actually do that, but there's my, there's my points bet ad read. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is why we need Tyler here. He's way better at this. But anyways, if you're inclined to betting and you're into that kind of thing, head over to points bet Canada. The blue Jays are now off to Cleveland to face Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, best friends, the guardians. They love that organization more than the blue Jays. So I've been told, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, off to Cleveland we go. It's going to be a four-game series where we're seeing pretty much the entire Blue Jays starting rotation, minus Kikuchi, who pitched on Wednesday. It's going to be Jose Barrio starting off against Aaron Savali. It's then Kevin Gosman versus Shane Bieber, former Cy Young winner. Then it's Ross Stripling versus Trista McKenzie and Alec Manoa at the end versus Zach Playsack. Cleveland's been kind of an interesting team this year. They are, after splitting a double header with San Diego today, they are now 11 and 13. But the thing with them is that their offense has actually been better than their pitching. Cleveland ranks sixth in major league baseball in terms of runs per game, whereas they're just slightly below league average with a 3.87 earned run average. So what do we think from Cleveland? Do we think that this is a series where you take three of four? Are we happy with a split? What are the expectations? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a four game series against a not bad team, uh, on the road. So in that case, honestly, I'm happy with a split anytime they can achieve that. Um, they're an interesting team. It, it is always nice when you can play against the team that has played a doubleheader the day before the series starts, cause they had a lot of bullpen innings today and, uh, their second game actually went into extra innings. So they pitched 20 total innings, uh, today, or sorry, 19 total innings today. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they we we won't get Cal Quantrill who pitched one of today's games. Uh, you mentioned Zach Plesac; he pitched today as well. So Quantrill and Plesac started today. So they either one of them goes on short rest, which I doubt. So it might be a bit of an unknown now. We're up in the air who starts on the Sunday. Probably game. a bullpen day then I would assume. Yeah. So again, something that hopefully works in the Blue Jays' favor. Uh, a very weird team in the fact, uh, man, like Owen Miller. <laughs> Owen Miller. Don't know who that is. Crap out of the ball for Cleveland. He's their four hole hitter. He has an 1100 OPS. Okay. Putting that into perspective, George Springer has like an 870 OPS. Owen Miller. That's not a real name. 
They've yeah, been they, hitting the ball much better than you would expect them to. And that's with Fran Will Reyes not hitting. So Owen Miller has a hundred, a 194 weighted runs created plus this year. 194. He's so, not even their best hitter right now. Their best hitter right now is Jose Ramirez. He's got a 1.128 OPS. He's, it's a good he's, team. Oh my goodness. That, that, that's uh, well, there's uh, the uh, Stephen Kwan guy too. He hits everything. Yeah. He, he's a what rookie. He's, team? A, he's an interesting, he's a high batting average, low power output uh, rookie outfielder for them. So yeah, they're, they're, I don't know, an interesting offense, Josh Naylor, Canadian boy. He's hitting well this year too. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what this offense looks like in person. I'm just looking at their box score from today and Luke Maley has a 1000 OPS. <laughs> so I'm going to guess that the sample size is about eight at bats to get him there. And that's, uh, that's how well, he he's does. achieving he those goes numbers. On hot streaks. He My does go on hot streaks. Yeah, he goes on hot streaks. Um, but even those hot streaks, I'm going to say, are about eight at bats long. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember that. It was in 2017. He went nuclear for like three days and he had two walk offs and like back to back or something. Yeah, it's something chaotic Luke, like that. Good to be Luke Maley, just hang, hanging around, having his three days a year where he's where he's hot and effective and Weird carrying us through to a minor league oh, wow. contract we're called the next year. So, yeah, they're, they're an interesting team. I mean, in my head, I think of them as a pitching only team. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much of an opinion on some of these big bats or these big numbers they're putting up this year, other than it'll be interesting to see them and hopefully they come down to earth in time for this series. Um, but yeah, overall 10 and 13 records. So, you know, they're not all that, uh, not all that greater, I guess, 11 and 13 after the second game. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, it's nice to avoid Quantra, like I said, but you're getting, you know, Beaver and, and, uh, uh, Savali. So Savali's yeah. got an ERA of 10.67. Which See, is we're, we're we're early enough in the year where there's just uh, some weird numbers out there, man. But that's it's, really bad. It's bizarre. Wait. Hey, Anthony Ghost pitched today for Cleveland. Anthony, we're going to see him in the series. We're going to see him in the we're series. We're going to see Anthony sure, Ghost. Sure. He's going to strike out Bradley right? Zimmer. Absolutely, oh, no guaranteed left on left violence. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to to see this Cleveland team. It's nice to get out of the. It, it definitely does feel like a little bit of a you know come down off the difficult schedule the Jays have had to date. So um, yeah, a win two is, is fine. If you can find a way to steal three, I mean, that's awesome. And obviously that's what you hope for, but at least two, you know, you should be feeling all right about that going into the off day on Monday, first off day in 21 days. So I'm looking at uh, Aaron Savali's page here in his games and he's been real bad. So if the Jays don't go ahead and have an explosive offensive game, on Thursday, I'm going to be upset because in his last two outings, they've gone three and four innings. He allowed six runs in both. So it's time. It's, it's time not. to start hitting and score more than two or three runs in a ball yeah. game. I'm what, with you there. what I want is for Teoscar Hernandez to get activated from the injured list to come into the lineup on Thursday and for the Jays to put up 15 runs. Yeah, um, I'm ready for that. Hey, I got something to throw out there. Um, just a little bit of uh, AL East uh, joy we can take. Uh, Boston took a 5-4 lead into the ninth tonight. Uh, sorry, I want to say a 4-3 lead into the ninth. Um, gave up the tying run to the Angels, and it is the 10th inning now, and uh, the Angels scored six runs in the 10th inning. So I'm just enjoying that box score right now. Um, watching the Red Sox at Fenway get destroyed for six runs in the 10th inning of a game where they were one strike away from winning in the ninth. Feels good. I like that. That's fun. Like, like when that, that happens. There's a lot of optimism amongst the Red Sox Twitter I was noticing today. So I'm yeah, very I'm much enjoying I don't, I don't check, want to see checking that. in on that. Yeah, it's, it's good to check in on that box score and smile a little bit. 
Yeah, that's fun. I feel like they had such a bullshit season last year. They 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 massively overachieved. Not only did they massively yep. overachieved in the season, they they reached the American League Championship Series. And it's like yeah. you're not good enough for that. You need to really crash down here in 2022. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty comfortable calling them the fourth best team in the AL East, and and not exclusively based on the fact that that's what the record puts them at right now. Um, <laughs> their roster, yeah, their their roster is a rung below. Um, the Yankees and Red Sox, uh, sorry, the Yankees and Rays and the Jays, obviously. So, so hold on. Yeah. Now, speaking of that, since we're having this conversation, we can finish off on this note. You have the Orioles at five, the Red Sox at four. Do you have the Rays at three? I don't. They have not played the Rays yet. Yeah, they're heating yeah. up. I, I can't say I've watched a lot of Rays yet this year. Um, they've they've had pitching injuries and stuff like that. Like I don't I don't feel like they're they're a terrifying roster, but they're a good roster. And then they're terrifying because they're the race. And we've talked about that a number right. of times yeah. in the past Probably podcast. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see any of the blue Jays Rays, Yankees win the division. Hopefully it's the Jays. And I really like the Jays chances to do so. Um, and, and I, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Rays be a little aggressive at the trade deadline a little bit more so this year than in years past. But, uh, yeah, it, it feels like, um, uh, a three-team race with the you know Red Sox kind of on the periphery of that. But you're not gonna you're not gonna comfortably say you think either the Yankees or the Blue Jays are number one. We've seen the Yankees seven times this year. You think they're better than the Jays or not? Um, I, right now, yes. But like as far as complete rosters, what I would expect that type of thing, I I would lean the direction of the Jays. Like I said, I like I like the Yankees pitching a lot, which means I hate the Yankees pitching. Um, but yes, I, I like the Jays roster better than the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, the Yankees are a better team this year than they were last. I think the Yankees, I find to be quite intimidating. I'm not looking forward to seeing the Rays, but I am looking forward to seeing Cleveland. I'm looking forward to the Jays putting up 15 runs tomorrow, as I predicted, or I guess that would be today because it's Wednesday night, but it's going to be Thursday right away. Anyways, I'm not making any sense now. I got to go tune into an Edmonton Oilers hockey game. Hopefully that goes well for me. <laughs> Enjoy, survive it. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please follow Jay's Nation on Twitter. Follow BK, follow me, Coom. Best wishes. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.